Get your Bibles and open to Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start today with uh, verse 10. And then we'll go into our, our passage there this morning. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 10 this morning. Are you grateful that you have the Word of God? Listen to me now. How am I sounding? Still boomy? Or am I okay? All right. We're going to get this set before I continue. All right. Testing one, two, three. How are we back there? Sue, we good? Michael? All right. Thank you. Are you grateful that we have the Word of God? Yes. Amen. This is God's word given to us for our instruction, for our holiness, for our righteousness, and we believe it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through it. We thank you for the living word, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we do have Christ. Help us, as most of us here today listen to Paul talk to the Ephesians, he's talking to us as well, because most of us here are Gentiles also, and we can listen with an attentive ear and remember how Paul is instructing these Ephesians, these brothers, through time. Help us to hear, help us to believe, help us to obey your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul tells the Ephesians to remember. Remember. We're just coming off of a holiday, right, or a, a time of remembrance, Veterans Day, where we think and remember and have gratitude for those who have served our country. We have a day coming up called Thanksgiving, where we stop and we remember God's greatness and God's goodness and His providence in our lives. We have Christmas after that where we stop and remember the gift of God's blessed Son, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We remember birthdays. Husbands, you always remember that birthday, don't you? We remember. We remember, and on those birthdays, it's a day, yes, of gift-giving and celebrations and cakes and blowing out candles, but really it's a, it's a day to stop and remember the birth of, 
of that someone special in your life, that child, that son, that daughter, that wife, that husband. And yes, even we have funerals, like yesterday, which was, which was precious. Jeff has already spoke of this, and, and, the, and the honor and the, and the glory that went to Christ because of our beloved brother, Reuben. We remember, we remember, we have communion weekly in our church. Sometimes people have asked, well, why do you guys do it weekly? Because I say, because we are frail. We are but dust, and we have short memories. And so it's helpful to remember. The Jews were instructed to remember through the Passover. We need to be reminded over and over again what we should remember. And here Paul tells these Ephesians to remember. R.C. Sproul said this of one of his professors when he was getting his doctorate in Holland. He said that this professor would tell his students, Gentlemen, the essence of Christian theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. Being grateful, remembering who God is. Yes, we thank Him for His grace, and when we understand that grace, then we are moved to gratitude. He says this, We're not supposed to be motivated to godliness by fear of the consequences of breaking the law, but rather motivated by gratitude. Remember, Jesus said that the one who has been forgiven much loves much. In the Old Testament, the root root concept of apostasy was the idea of forgetting. Forgetting. As long as God's redemption was clear and fresh in the experience of His people, They were zealous in their worship and obedience. But as the memory of God's blessing faded, then their zeal would begin to fade as well. It is this link between memory and motivating power of gratitude that produces the fruit of righteousness. And Paul is reminding these Gentile converts that they are not to take for granted what God has done for them. This statement I have written there in your bulletin says this, Paul encourages the Ephesians to remember their desperate past and their glorious present so that grace will be magnified, joy will be intensified, boasting will be nullified, and Christ alone will be glorified. We see a connection here. We read verse 10, and it's it's just a reminder for us because, listen again, verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember, and then he reminds them of all these desperate situations that they were before Christ. Almost to tell them, really to tell them that, look, don't when you come into, 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 into salvation, don't forget where you came from. Don't begin to believe that as you walk in these good works, that these are your own doing. Don't forget, Gentiles, that you once were far off. You once were alienated. You once were separated. Remember from whence you came. And throughout this sermon today, we can be reminded, as I've said already, is even though Paul is talking to these Ephesians specifically, he's talking to us as well, isn't he? As Gentile believers also. So here's, what he, here's our, our points today. Number one, there's two points. Remember your desperate past and remember your glorious present. Under point one, we have five 
areas of, of real desperation. Remember you were separated. Remember you were alienated. Remember you were strangers. Remember you were hopeless. Remember you were godless. So let's begin. Number one, remember your desperate past. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul here focuses on the Gentiles. They are uncircumcised. They are uncircumcised. Circumcision is the Old Testament ritual that involved the cutting of the foreskin of the flesh from the male Jew, usually on the eighth day after birth. It was the theological sign. It was, it was undertaken to seal the covenant that God had made with his people. And there's a sense in which the circumcised then, the people of Israel then were, were cut off from the world, set apart and, 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 and consecrated to the special relationship of being in the family of God. And so in the same way that they would be cut off from the world, in, in, in this same sense, in, in, in a different sense in a way, then the Gentiles are the uncircumcised, of course, and because of their uncircumcision and their Gentile nature, um, they are cut off from God and from His people. But lest we forget, both the Jews and the Gentiles are under the wrath of God. And we saw this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Back up with me in here. Let's have a, a little review. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Read it with me. Paul says, And you... And you Gentiles, you Ephesians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Notice there, you Gentiles were dead, yes you were, but guess what? We all, Jews and Gentiles, once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So Jew and Gentile, nature, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, Jews and Gentiles, he loved all of us, even when we were dead. When we were dead, Jews and Gentiles, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You see, the Jews had a, had a near relationship with God. A near relationship with God. Romans 9, 1 through 5. Remember our study from Romans a few years back. He says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. Paul speaking here. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Right? Jewish, believer, Jewish, Jewish uh, unbelievers at this time. Verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. We see that relationship, that, new, that, that, that near relationship with the Jews toward, toward God at that time. But the Gentiles are, are far off. They're far off. 
So we have the Gentiles uh, being far off, but the Jews being, being near. And, and we can see that, that the Jews are, are near in their sin, and the Gentiles are far off in their sin. I think of uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. One, one goes to a far country, goes far away in his sin, and chases after lust of the flesh and, and all his passions and his desires, and, and he is, he's distanced from the Father. He's, he's far away in his sin and lost there. But remember, there's one who stays near the Father, the elder brother. And the stark ending of that parable is that the elder brother is outside the feast. Here there's one who is close to, to the Father, who's Who's, who's, who's in proximity to the Father, who's near there geographically, but he's far away in sin. Like a rebellious child who knows the truth and turns his back on his parents, like the Jews. But the Gentiles would be more like an, an orphan out there somewhere lost in the city, completely oblivious that there's a Father who loves them. As we remember, though, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So number one, we remember. We remember our desperate past. Remember first that you were separated. Remember that you were separated. Verse 11 again. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. This is the Ephesians' desperate past. They were separated, detached, divorced, disconnected, estranged. Brothers and sisters, sin always separates. Sin always separates. Think about it in your own heart, in your own life. When when there have been times at which, which uh, my wife and I have had a, a vigorous discussion. And what do I do in those vigorous discussions? I, I distance myself, right? You're in the same house, but you're not in the same room. You're in the same area, but you're not in the same place. Even if you're in the same room, your eyes are not on the same thing. You're looking everywhere but into the eyes of your beloved, right? Because sin separates But how much more when you're separated, not just from a loved wife or husband, but separated from Christ? Paul says that the Ephesians were separated from Christ. And Paul uses the title Christ here, which means anointed one or Messiah. The Gentiles are separated from the Jewish Messiah. They don't understand that he even exists. They're the orphan lost somewhere in the city who doesn't even know they have a father who loves them. They're separated from Messiah. James Montgomery Boyce says, The Gentiles in their fallen and alienated state were not united to Jesus by saving faith. Of course, that was also true of the Jews. But unlike the Jews, the Gentiles had not even had a chance to know Christ. Their religion was totally pagan. They did not even have the expectation of a Savior. I can remember my brother 
years ago preaching a sermon called Lost and Loving It. And it was a, it was a, a great uh, sermon. And, and, and the point was, was, was reflecting on people who are outside of Christ in the world. Sometimes we think people are out there and they're, they're, they're miserable. Oh, they're so miserable. And he preached a sermon called Lost and Loving It. Because he said, with enough cash, uh, with enough friends, with enough booze or drugs or, or road trip or whatever you're doing, there are people out there who are lost and loving it. They don't even understand where they are because they haven't heard of Christ. They don't even understand their separation. The Gentiles had no expectation of a Savior because they were at that time lost and loving it. They were outside of, of any understanding of what the Bible teaches about Messiah. Next point is this. Remember, you were alienated. Remember, you were alienated. They were alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. John MacArthur says this, God had made his chosen people into a theocracy, a nation of whom he himself was king and lord. He gave that nation a special blessing, protection, and love. He gave them his covenants, his law, his priesthood, his sacrifices, his promises, and his guidance. And the psalmist has said this in Psalm 147, 20, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Paul understands this well, that they are alienated. They are outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Paul understands this, but Jesus makes it so clear when he speaks to the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she asks him, where, where's, the, where's the right place to worship? You Jews say it's here and Gentiles say it's over here. He say, the, the Samaritan woman says, he says it, should it be on this mountain in Gerizim or, or, or in Jerusalem? And Jesus replies this, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Paul is telling these Ephesians that at this point in your past, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside of this people. So remember, you were separated. Remember, you were alienated. Remember, you were strangers. The verse says they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. The supreme covenant of promise was given to Abraham by God. Genesis 12, 1 through, 1 through 3 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promises of the Old Testament were on the basis of this covenant, and the Gentiles at that time had no share in them. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that in a certain sense, uh, being strangers to the promise is true of unbelievers today. He says this, they can read their Bibles and it does not move them. They can look at these exceeding great and precious promises and say, to whom does this apply? What is all this about? They're strangers. 
They're like people from another country. They don't understand the language. I remember uh, Jeff Lewis, Pastor Jeff, mentioning a few weeks ago, um, saying someone at his work was saying, why do, you go to, why do you go to church so much? Like, that's really odd. Uh, I, I was kind of laughing inside because I would have said, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but, but, but what, you know, to the outside world, I meant, I meant, dude, I mean, I was arguing with my, <laughs> don't argue with, with elementary school kids, okay? <laughs> but I was arguing with one of my elementary school kids, explaining that Sunday is the first day of the week. Friends, brothers, sisters, we're not, this is not the weekend. This is the first day of the week. And I literally could not convince one of my kids that Sunday is the first day of the week. No, no. Get your, get your business calendars. And where does Sunday fall? At the end of the week, right? On your business calendar. No. It's the first day of the week. And they're saying, why do you, you know, dude, it's Saturday I get my work done, but Sunday I chill. Praise God, it's Sunday, right? I can sleep in. Why do you guys go to church? It's strange. It's bizarre. I remember, I think I've told this before, when I was teaching in Watts, uh, I had a school psychologist there who was a believer. And she said, I want to come in and, and bring in some, some goodies for Christmas for your, for your class, you know, Mr. Brian, and said, I'd love that. And so she came in and, and she had all these great cookies and all this stuff. And we set up our tables and we had like a little feast there before our Christmas break. And in the middle of the table, she had this big Christmas bag with the nativity scene on it. And she's talking about Christmas, and she's talking about all the Christmas stuff, and about Jesus, and baby Jesus. And, and one of my boys literally is looking at this bag with a picture of the nativity scene here, and the little manger, and all this. And this little boy, fourth grader, raised his hand and said, he's like, Mr. Brown, I have a question. Yes, what do you have? What's your question? He goes, what are they to me? You know, this had, I don't understand what, what, you know, what are they to me? I don't understand what this relevance is to me. It has, it makes no sense. I have no connection to these people, right? He wasn't offended by it. He was just dumbfounded by it. What are these people sitting in some barn somewhere with hay and donkeys and stuff and a little baby have to do with me? He was, he was a stranger. He was a stranger to the covenants of promise aliens. You've probably been in places before where you were completely outside of your comfort zone. You were traveling in a foreign land. You were a stranger. Years ago, we took a group to Haiti. Not Tahiti, to Haiti. <laughs> a little bit different. And we were in Haiti, and the missionary there said, hey, we're all going to go to a, uh, we're going to take you to a soccer game, a soccer game between Carpathian Haiti and their, and their rivals that was a town a little, little further, further away there. And so we go walking through the streets of Haiti, back and forth, these little narrow streets and these little tiny little hut type, you know, some houses almost out of cardboard, you know, and just ramshackle, you know, little area there. And we come to this, to this uh, soccer field and we climb up into the stadium and, and I can remember, you know, I had no idea where we were. I could never find my way back to the hotel. We're now sitting in this soccer field in, in Haiti, and, and uh, on the other side is completely Haitians, right? There's about, there's about, you know, just, I mean, we're the only white people there at all. And so you're sitting there, everyone's speaking Creole and other languages. Whenever they would make a goal, 
people would rush onto the field. <laughs> sorry, people would rush onto the field, and the referees had sticks, had canes, and they they would then chase the people on the field, whacking them with with sticks to get them off the field so they could keep playing. And I was like, what in the world? You know, this is. I feel very strange here. I'm very foreign here. And at some point, the missionaries say, okay, the game is almost over. We want to see the end of the game. No, we need to leave now because, because um, if, they, if they win, then there's going to be a riot. <laughs> and so we left and, and scurried back all the way back and got back to where we were. I was completely and totally out of my elephant. Elephant. <laughs> God, pray for me out of my element. And I can remember thinking, if, if, if I got separated from my group or for the, from those missionaries, the, the, the people who were taking us where we should be going, I would not know where to turn, where to go for help. This is where the Ephesians were. This is where the Gentiles were without Christ. They're strangers. They don't understand the language. They don't understand the customs. They don't know where to go for help. They're completely outside at that time, outside at that time. And it brings us to our next point. Remember that you were hopeless. Remember that you were hopeless. What does hopeless mean? Having no hope. Having no hope. Without hope. Without hope. Completely hopeless. Hopeless. The Gentiles without Christ are hopeless. There's no hope of rescue, no hope of salvation. No hope of heaven. Hope less. I asked Hayden if I could tell this uh, on our way over here, and he said yes. After Hayden's second, after his uh, first bone marrow transplant uh, did not work, we had gone through radiation, and that failed, and then we had gone through a bone marrow transplant, and that failed. The doctors talked to Linda and I, and this doctor pulls us aside and says, um, uh, we're done. We're done. There are no more tools big enough in our toolbox to fight Hayden's cancer. We're done. I said, what do you mean you're done? I said, that's, that's it. No more treatment. Go home and enjoy the time you have left. I can remember driving from the hospital And thinking to myself that I understood when I hear of people who drive their car off into a lake or a river with their whole family. I understood. The difference is that I had Christ. Physically speaking, Humanly speaking, we were hopeless. But we had Christ, and so we had hope. Paul is talking to these Ephesians and saying, before Christ, and the same thing is true of me or you, before Christ, before salvation, you were hopeless. No hope, no hope without hope. Acts 4.12 says this, in that great sermon, There is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to me, friend. This is your only hope. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. It's your only hope. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, Christian. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. Separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless. And then finally he says, remember you were godless. You were without God in the world. Paul's last despair summarizes the dilemma of the Gentiles before Christ. They were without God. That summarizes everything we've talked about. When you are without God, you are separated, alienated, strangers, and hopeless. Without God. Not in a proper relationship with God. Not honoring Him as Father. Not understanding that you're His child. Not knowing where your identity is. It's hard for us as believers to even remember, right? Remember how bad it was before we knew Christ. Remember how foolish we were before we knew Christ. Remember how stupid we were and the actions we took and the, the things we said, the things we thought, the things we did. Remember, you were godless. James 1.17 tells us, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But you see, those good and perfect gifts, they didn't understand at all that those were from a heavenly Father. They did not know God as Father at that time. Let's look at our passage one more time. Listen. Therefore remember... That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, it, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, godless. How desperate could that be? How desperate was their condition and how desperate was our condition? But then what happens? <laughs> Paul says, remember your glorious present. Yes, remember your past, but remember your present, but now. Remember at that time, remember at one time, yes, remember that, don't forget that. Remember at one time how bad it was, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? How, Paul? How can we be brought near? By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ refers to Christ's atoning work on the cross. Now the Gentiles who were far off have been brought near by that amazing work. They were separated, but now they're united. They were aliens, but now they're citizens. 
They were strangers, but now they're friends. They were hopeless, but now they are full of hope. They were without God, but now God is their God. Back to our statement at the beginning of the sermon. Paul encourages the Ephesians to remember their desperate past and their glorious present. Why? So that grace will be magnified. Grace will be magnified. Do you understand if if the Ephesians look back and they see this is how bad we were, completely, totally lost. Now grace is magnified because there's no way I could save myself in that desperate condition. Someone had to save me. Grace is magnified. When grace is magnified, joy will be intensified. I can't help but smile. I can't help but say, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I want to be worshiping the Lord. I want to be here singing praises. I want to be in his word. Joy is magnified. Joy is intensified. Boasting will be nullified. Where is any boasting? We did it. We sang it today, right? Where's our boasting, brothers and sisters? Only one place. Our boasting is in Christ, right? We won't boast in our greatness, in our goodness, in our righteous deeds. No, we boast in Christ and Christ alone. And because of all those things, Christ alone will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. The Ephesians, the encouragement to the Ephesians is is our encouragement as well. We're really no different. Time separates us by millennia, but we're no different than these Ephesians. As we look back at our desperate past, we can see also how it magnifies grace, how it intensifies our joy, how it nullifies our boasting, and how our Savior, Christ, will be glorified. On a very personal matter, Kenny, I think, mentioned it in his opening. Jeff mentioned our prayers for our dear Steph. We just were at the funeral of Reuben. We have two brothers who are suffering from cancer right now. We have a new baby who's just been born. It has been an intense and challenging few weeks. There are other things that I could mention that I'm not at liberty to talk about. Challenges, struggles, intensity, marriages, challenges, brothers and sisters. I plead with you. I beg you. To remember who you are in Christ. To remember who you are in Christ. To look back and remember how bad it was before you knew Jesus. And how good it is now to know Christ. And lean not away from fellowship, not away from God, not away from Jesus, but lean into Christ. 
Run to the one who is your refuge and your strength and your hope and your foundation. And plead with God this week, please. Plead with God. Plead with Him for Stephanie and for John. Because Jesus Christ is their only hope. We're going to plead with Jesus. We're going to go before the throne of grace to beg Him for mercy and strength and healing for our dear sister. Plead with Him for our brother Tim Tyndall. Strengthen our brother Help him to hold on to you. Strengthen him, O oh God. Plead with him for Mark Akers. Plead with him for Wanda, our dear friend John, who's been attending now for a, a few months and as she heals. Plead for our marriages. Pray. Know your position in Christ. Remember your desperate past, but remember your glorious, your glorious future. And we know that when we come before our God, He is eager to listen to us, to hear our prayers. And one more, one more, if I may, plead for your pastors. Plead for your pastors. We hurt for you. We hurt for you. We pray for you. We plead for you. It's exhausting. <laughs> I'm not any different than any of you. Challenges come. And so, and so pray for us. Pray for wisdom and strength. Pray that we may teach the word. Lord, help us. And pray for salvation for those who have yet to come to know Christ. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, you are a great God. As we remember our past, we reflect on how, how bad it was, completely hopeless, godless, separated, angel, uh, strangers and, and aliens, oh God. Away from the covenants of promise. But now, in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near because of your son's precious blood. Lord, there are many, many things that I've mentioned even now. We've prayed for earlier today as well. So many things. We need, we need your help, Lord. We need you. We need you as we often sing. We need you. We ask again for everyone that I mentioned that you would work powerfully in their lives. That you would hold them close. Bring healing and strength to each one. Lord, we, we, will, we will. We will fall down and we will worship you. Just as Job did. Because you are our God. And we will accept anything that comes from your hand. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.